0: down in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 of Matthew. We're looking at verses 43 through 48. Listen now as we read the word. You heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Some biblical scholars think that these verses that we're looking at here today are the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. I would agree, knowing these verses, that they're dealing with Christian love know how we need love in our day, do we not? Yes, these are the words of Jesus to that crowd as he preached that day, but they're also to every one of us in 2019. These verses are the core of Christian ethics with the very character of God. Jesus is teaching us here to love one another as he does, not as man does. So let's begin by considering divine love. We start by realizing <coughs> the heart of Christ's teaching is, is his stance of love. Look again there in verse 45. <clears throat> he says, That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, he wants us to be more like him, as he was like his father, who displays his love without discrimination, We're to be godlike in our conduct. Remember, God's love goes to all people, not just the just, but also to the unjust. And love, that is action, expressing uh, how we are to love our enemies. The Greek language has four words for for love. When I say that, I, I have to think of my dear grandmother. She spoke fluent German, Pennsylvania Dutch, whichever you really like better. Uh, I can say a few words to Mr. Shaney, made of faith. Because if you know what I said, fine. Others will be coming and ask me later. I knew enough to be dangerous. One time I hauled a, a load of Amish we lived in Valde, big valley, and the, the old gentleman sat up front with neighbor in front of me. We in a van. I was helping a, a neighbor out who was ill and couldn't haul them, and I said, Sure, I'd do that. And these ladies crawled into the back, and of course, immediately they were talking about a minute back there. And this old gent looked at me and he says, can you die, Yeah, I can of Trudge. gave this all. He looked back at those ladies and he thought, and <laughs> when he did he asked me can you talk Dutch and I said yes I can a little bit <coughs> he didn't know how a little bit <laughs> but it made for an interesting story and I still love to tell that but we love don't we? those that maybe we can't even understand at times so the four words oh I wanted to say this, grandma said in German you could express yourself much better than you can in English and it's a little bit with the Greek here. Four words describe our one word of love. And so we want to look at that today. The first word is, is eros, which refers to sexual sin. And in that day and culture, the Romans were very, uh, how do I say, deviant in the way they lived. They were perverted, they were debased. So much so that by New Testament times, you don't even see that word in the New Testament. It was a word that biblical scholars rejected as a The second Greek word for love is storge. It refers to the natural family love, like a mother, father for the children, and of course I'm a grandfather now to my grandchildren. Don't you love your families? Amen. Thank you, Barb. Got one amen there. But you know, the older I get, the more my family means to me. I love to be with them. This weekend, we were with the granddaughters a little bit, and I just love having them around. And so that's the story a kind of love. And then the third one is Philia. Philia, it's a far, part of the word philosophy, love of wisdom, with empathy, love of fellow man. It speaks of that, that warm affection uh, shared between friends. It's used as in the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Um, I wonder if you walk down the city streets of Philadelphia if you feel that or not. Some of the news recently wasn't the best coming out of that city. Well, Peter used this term. When Jesus asked him, Do you love me? And he asked him in terms of the highest love. You, know, you can read the story there in John twenty one. When Peter referred replied back, he said, Yes, Lord, I know you know that I love you. And he used the word Philia. Now the fourth word for love is a copy. That's divine love. That's the love that we pray that God would pour into our hearts more and more. It's a word that Jesus used the first two times he questioned Peter if he truly loved him. It's also the word that is used here in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. This love is one that loves without regard to the individual returning or reciprocating any love back.
1: You know, it's easy to love those that you
0: know love you. But how about loving those that no, they really don't like you. A godly love is even you're loving when someone hates you or seems like there's no reason at all for you to love them. It's that godlike love that only he can put within us. It's a love that Jesus showed the world as he was there on Calvary's cross. Did he say, Father, forgive them for they don't do not there he was dying. He the love of the world. Let's take a closer look at the love from the cross. It's a love that exists even if it's standing alone. God gave his only son, his begotten son, coming from him to die that day. And he knew so little that love would come back. Rather, what was the crowd going? They were jeering and mocking him as he was dying. There's hardly a verse in the New Testament that speaks of God's love without speaking of the cross. Biblical writers knew that was indeed true love shown that day. Let's look at several verses. John 3.16, we all know it. Let's say, say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't know any other verse in the Bible, that's one most those people know. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 4, verse 10, this is the love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, God, our Christ, died for us, while we were still sinners, unloving, You can just add a whole lot of adjectives there, but he still loved us and died for us. And so each of these verses, the cross is the measure of God's love. Not only the fact of Christ's suffering that makes God's love so wonderful, but the fact that he suffered for sinners. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. He suffered for those that hated him despised him, rejected him. He suffered for that man, that Roman soldier that took that big spike in that hammer and drove it through his hand and his feet. To try to make this more personal, let me illustrate it like this.
1: Try to imagine that you're a lifeguard
0: and you're working along the beach and there's, there's a lot of people there swimming. And there's a lovely young girl that starts hollering, Help! Help! You don't go; she's going to drown. Would you risk your life to save her? Probably would say, "Well, yes, certainly I will." But now, does in your mind the most contemptible person you can think about. Maybe something, someone who's done you in, or robbed you, wronged you, or maybe someone you read about in the newspapers or heard on TV, a Harvard child molester. A murderer, would you actually risk your life to save that kind of individual? Or would the thought cross your mind, you know, really society would be better off without them? This is what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying to each one of us here today from Romans 5 6 through 8. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. For while we were still weak, Took our spot on the cross. We were so helpless we could have never saved ourselves in our lost condition. And then how can anyone think they can even earn their salvation by good works alone? Never, never, never. Because Jesus offers it as a free gift, paid in full by his shed blood. So apart from God's saving work through Christ, the natural man can't even begin to understand the teachings of Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And so the natural man can't even begin to comprehend or understand he, he doesn't know what you're talking about when you say that Jesus died for him or, or the Holy Spirit is here today as we read there in John 14 16 and 17 that I will ask the Father and he will send you another counselor I'll add helper comforter to be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him when Jesus went back to heaven, he said, I'm not going to go and leave you orphans, but I'll send you a helper, a comforter, a guidance counselor, however you want to turn that." And so we cannot <coughs> earn our own salvation by good works. The Holy Spirit is given by God to come and to help us and seek the Lord. God's love is measured by the fact that while we were sinners unable to even hear the word, receive the Holy Spirit, submit to his law, understand his teachings, Jesus still died for us. Amen? That is God's love, his divine love to which we are called to as his children. Let's go a bit farther. Loving that goes beyond just liking loving that goes beyond just liking. I see you wives looking at your husbands and vice versa. Our love should be maybe thinking, well, yes, I understand this standard of love, but sometimes I feel I like can't attain to it. You're correct. Because in and of yourself, it's hard to achieve always. This love is the is only possible to those who the Lord Jesus Christ is at work and in whom his presence dwell. All of us, I speak for myself, but I believe all of us need to draw even closer in our walk with him when we feel that at times his love is unattainable. Remember what I said about loving and not liking What about those times that Jesus looks down upon our life and, uh oh, there's something there that isn't to his liking? He doesn't stop loving us. Oh, yes, the Holy Spirit will convict us of our wrong, of our sin, or the error of our ways, because God wants to change us to be more like Jesus. He doesn't stop his love. So love is not a matter of just feeling alone. It's a matter of the will. I've decided to follow Jesus. It makes, us, it, makes it possible for us to express it out in actions, even in times when we don't feel like it. I know there's times that we're going to bed and, and I'm relaxing and they say, Oh, I forgot something. Do you mind going out? I don't want to get out of bed. But because I love her, I go and do it. And she's sweet enough to do the same for me If love would be so dependent on our feelings, it would have been foolish for Jesus to tell us to love one another and our enemies also. It couldn't be done in ourselves. But if love is a matter of will, and it's our will to surrender to him, and that makes it possible. We can by his help then live out of verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I don't know how many of you have heard of the English author C.S. Lewis. I've read several of his books, I don't know about you, Peter. When I was in Bible college, that was something required for reading, and I thought at first this guy is sort of weird. Some of the stories he puts out, like the screw tape, letters. It didn't make a whole lot of sense at first, but as we got into it, then I began to realize he was a very deep thinker. But I quote from him today, he says, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as you do this, you'll find out one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you presently come to love them. The Christian tries to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as it goes on. Including people he couldn't even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. If you're having difficulty loving others, try this and see if God will not use it. To lead you into a fuller experience of his great love and power. End quote. Lastly, we want to dwell on the thought: Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's so very important that we come to this fuller experience of Christ, God's love. Because it's such a loving conduct that the gospel of Christ can go out into an unsaved world. Every one of us can be Jesus' hands extended in love and in mercy. Someone has said that God has really given to us five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you. Some people may never look at a Bible or read a Bible but they're going to read your Bible. So you can be the Bible to them as Christ is shining through you. They don't see his love in you, they may never see it. That's sober, isn't it? And it also challenges me how to react at times in public. You know, things don't always go right, just like this guy there in the hotel. Others are watching. Oh, may they see Jesus in us. Some years ago, I I read a story that took place in Arizona where there was a lot of Native Indians. It happened to be at a Presbyterian missions hospital in Gondola, Arkansas. An old um, Navajo Indian lady was dying. She was lost three or four days out in bad bad weather. But someone found her and rushed her to the hospital, and under the doctor's care, she began to improve after several weeks in the hospital. One day, she called a nurse to her side and asked her this question. Why did this doctor do all for me, an old, dying woman? He's a white man, and I'm a despised Indian. I never heard of anything like this. Well, this Navajo nurse herself was a believer. And she said, you know, it's the love of Jesus that made that doctor do that. And the old lady asked her, what are you, what are you talking about? What's this Christ you're talking about? So they called a missionary to come and share the simple message of salvation, the gospel story with this native Indian lady. And all the while, as the staff were out of the hall praying. Well, several weeks went by, and the nurse again asked her, can't you put your trust in this Savior? Turn away from the idols that you worship. As the old Navajo lady pondered her answer, the door opened. Just then, in comes the doctor. Suddenly, the old lady declared, well, if Jesus is anything like this doctor, I can trust and believe in him forever. You see, that doctor is a Christian. His life was a Bible. That's what persuaded her to follow Jesus. It wasn't just the man's love, but the love of Jesus that was out of him to her. That, my friend, is what we as believers are to show forth each and every day. We do it as his sons, as his daughters. We're his witness, wherever we may be this coming week. This be little Christ's shine out let's stand together as a worship